Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Country Roads Confidential. I am Chris Anderson, your host today. And once again, I am joined by my co-host and noted Neil Brown enthusiast, Mike Casaza, who is live from Arlington, Texas at Big 12 Media Days. How did things go today, Mike? I don't know if you're spreading the word here, but it was funny. I won't name the colleague, but a colleague down here from another Big 12 school um, was talking to me as we were waiting for the, the teams to take their seats on their the little rows. So the four players and the head coach for West Virginia. And one of the people I was talking to said to me, so are you getting along yet with the new guy? And I was like, what do you mean by yet? <laughs> and I was because I didn't know, like, you know, maybe I don't know him yet. And he goes, I, I heard that things were rocky early on. It maybe some things that you had said or done i was like whoa 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 what <laughs> has this grown like legs and become some other thing that uh, i'm not even aware of yet but i did actually spend like 40 minutes next to brown today and uh wow what a 180 i've done now i actually like the guy which would infer that i didn't like him before which 100 percent isn't true but if i'm going to continue to play this game i'm going to go all the way in too so now i'm a fan <laughs> for those for those who do not know the joke over at ear sports is that uh Mike is one of those crazy people who has a level head and likes to take his time to get to know coaches and see the full picture before he makes judgment. It's it's kind of crazy, but uh, we appreciate that he's like that. I'm also bitter because Dana Holgerson, let me see if I have this right, he gave me every story that I ever broke, and I'll never <laughs> break another story again because he's not here. I think I have that that the facts right there. I'm not sure. I didn't know that until recently, so that explains my bias, of course. Naturally, naturally. Um, but getting back to today, today was the second day of Big 12 Media Days. The The other five coaches spoke um, in Arlington in front of everybody, including West Virginia head coach Neil Brown. And honestly, uh, you know, watching his watching his um, his conference, his press conference and reading the transcript, it is a lot of coach speak which is to be expected with a rookie head coach, his first time really out there for West Virginia, representing West Virginia. But, Mike, you got to speak with him for about 40 minutes or so after said press conference. Was there anything different, anything better? Oh, yeah. Uh, probably the biggest news for quite some time, I think, that affects the roster. Like you and I and many others have been trying to figure out, for example, you know, what happens with their hard cap of 25 scholarships for 2019? Who's going to count 2019 and who's going to count 2020? Because there are going to be a small number of kids who are going to play in 2019 and count for 2020. And then at least one of those kids for 2020 won't even be on the team. Um, and then there's this matter of transfers who may be eligible and recruits who haven't enrolled yet. And we got some level of um, closure on, let's say, four of those six cases there. So, um, that was interesting, but we'll get to that in a minute. I'll go back to what you're saying by and large about what he said. Uh, and I agree. It seemed like he wasn't um, used to it, which makes me think that, like, as smooth as he is and as, you know, swimmingly as his transition has gone, well, golly, he's human, you know. He can't win every room and he can't, you know, knock out every speech and public appearance. So that was kind of good. Now, he did have a, a couple of jokes and he did uh, from a distance, from behind the, the dais and to the deep parts of the room, he, he was able to strike up relationships with random reporters about different things. So he definitely has that touch where he can he can win over um, audiences with his, I don't know, his charm or his, his personality. So, um, but yeah, you're right. I just think part of it is that he doesn't know a whole lot about this team yet. And he's not a guy in my limited number of experiences with him who's going to, you know, 
who's going to give a backbone to something that he doesn't know exists right now. So he could talk about how great, for example, a certain unit is or how good these freshmen might be at a certain spot, but he doesn't know that yet. So he's not even going to start the subject. Never mind getting a great detail about it. So uh, no hard feelings from, from you that he stole his, stole your, he's still undefeated joke. Is that, is that okay with you? you believe that? <laughs> I was wondering about that. I was wondering about that, but uh, yeah. And it went over really well with the room too. So um, I also heard that he's pulled that out in a couple of fundraisers. So I can appreciate the fact that he's in workshop and his material. I like that. Now he was obviously not the only one that spoke today. So uh, let's go around to the rest of the big 12 um, Baylor's uh, Matt rule was, was there. He's in his third year at Baylor had a couple, it, you know, we've seen progress um started out one and 11 his first year seven and six last season what kind of vibe are you getting from him heading into this season because some pundits are out there giving them a i would say a little bit of respect a little bit of sleeper status in this league yeah i mean they've punched up a couple times in the last few years um and maybe they've landed some punches but they haven't really knocked anybody down or out i mean they were one and 11 and then seven and six which is pretty good when you consider you know, it was just two years ago, they were 111 and everything that went before that. Lots of rubble um, that he's kind of rebuilt. Um, and I think that he's just a good guy for that program. I think there's a lot of questions as to how long he'll be there. He seems like an NFL guy. Um, maybe sooner than later, who knows? I think what he was actually connected with the Colts job a couple of years ago, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, and he comes from that background. Um, so he's obviously good structurally and organizationally, and, and he's put this together. Um, I think a lot of people kind of like wrinkle their nose a little bit and try to figure out why that guy from the Northeast where he has NFL roots, why he left Temple to go to Waco, Texas, and to take on that task. But it's, it's hard to get a Power 5 job, and here he is, and he's proving a lot to a lot of people, I think, in different levels of not just the sport but football in general. Um, and this is the year where I think a lot of people say that, you know, they got to be better now. You know, it's, it's been it's been good to see them be competitive and to play a lot of freshmen who became sophomores. Well, they recruited really well. And those freshmen are juniors now and they have you know, depth where they had issues before. I think a lot of people do think that with a good quarterback and a better defense and lots of skill on offense, that they could be good. And also, if you're ranking the coaches from one to ten about who you want to have a beer or a bourbon with. I think you got to put that rule one. Do you think he likes uh, Makers and Diet Dr. Pepper? I hope not. <laughs> we could well, have to drop him down. Uh, um, also speaking today, for as far as uh, new head coaches, obviously Rule is not one, but Neil Brown is, and and Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, replacing uh, Bill Snyder. What was it? Was this the first time that you've spoken with a coach at Kansas State not named Bill Snyder? Yeah, I miss the Ron Prince era, which I think a lot of people <laughs> wish they could say the same. But I've seen him talk a lot. Uh, I follow NDSU a little bit. A friend of mine is the the voice of the Bison. So I've just kind of taken some attention to that. And I mean, he's been a guy on, on a name for a long, long time. He figured three rings as an assistant and four rings as a head coach. Um, he's really impressive to listen to and talk to. In fact, I nudged. The person next to me, I said, have you heard this guy talk before? And he said, no. I said, pay attention, man. He's really sharp. And after his, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, he kind of looked at me and said, wow, that's that guy is going to be really good. Because you can just tell, like, he believes what he says. And what was cool to me was that, obviously, there's a big shadow in that program with Snyder. And I don't think that he thinks he's unworthy because he's not Bill Snyder. He's not Bill Snyder. He knows that. But, again, he referenced his championships. And he referenced, you know, you know the offenses have done well. And they've had two quarterbacks who've been drafted. So why can't Kansas State be a place for that task at that school you really have to have an internal confidence that exudes outward and he showed that today 
up in Ames, Matt Campbell and Iowa State have, dare we say, expectations for the first time in a long time. How is how is he handling that? And what did he have to say? He's cool, man. Um, answer me this. Do you know how many years he's been there? This is number four. 2016 yeah. was his first year. It feels to me like he's been there a long time and he's a presence and it's been solid for a while. I don't know why that is. It's just it's an observation from me. Um, I think that because his his thumbprints and, and his way is so firm and maybe so obviously successful, but like I think it's something that you just identify with and maybe it's the Mount Union in him. Um, maybe it's the fact that like I follow, you know, where he was before because I'm from that part of Ohio. So like I just I just feel like I've known his work for a while, but he's only been there for four years and it feels like he's had that thing going in the right direction for a little bit. In truth, it's been one year. And I think what's deceiving a little bit is that it, it is on the way up, but last year has kind of tailed off with the finish. Um, and I think a lot of people, I think you and I have had this conversation too. Um, you know, let's see it happen because how long has Iowa State been that team that's supposed to be the, you know, oh, they'll beat somebody at home or this is the year where Paul Rhodes puts it together and it hasn't happened. And maybe it's different now and maybe he just has the different sauce. But, um, the conversations I've had with people here this week is that like if there's a team that just isn't going to live up to it, it's not going to be Oklahoma or Texas, it's going to be Iowa State because their schedule's rough. And again, that quarterback's good. But he's missing his two big weapons. How can he do it? But if I think if you're going to have a guy who's going to, you know, guide you through the pitfalls and make sure you don't fall down, that's probably a guy to do it because he's he's a really impressive guy too. Another guy that may not be in Iowa State for long, may not be in the college level for long either. And down in Austin, Texas, the big talk today, actually in Arlington, Texas, at Big Twelve Media Days, was the horns down signal. Did Tom Herman have anything to say about it? Is he still crying over that, or or has he moved on to something else now? No, let's let's get into that too because this I got I got a little salty yesterday when people were getting you know high and mighty about Oklahoma and their transfers and people need to understand the rules are different. Um, one, Lincoln Riley wasn't there when the Mayfield thing happened. Baker Mayfield was a walk on, so the scholarship transfer rules don't apply to him. Uh, Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts were from the SEC, not from the Big Twelve. Um, so the Big 12 rules don't apply when you come from another conference. So I don't think that there's anything wrong. Again, I, I kind of admire Riley for being in front of a room where this is not going to be a popular position. Nevertheless, saying this is my unpopular position is what I believe. So that's okay. And I think something that's different today is that people don't understand um, anything you do, horns up, horns down, the TCU frog, the Texas Tech guns up, whatever, is supposed to get you a unsportsmanlike personal foul. Um, but, you know, if Texas does the horns up after a touchdown, they're really not showing anybody up. It's not unsportsmanlike. It's a celebration. They're not taunting anybody. They're doing their thing. If they did the TCU frog claw, that would look weird, and it would obviously be disrespectful to TCU. Um, if Texas flashes horns up to its fans, that's very different than David Sills or Will Greer flashing horns down to the fans. There's there's a very clear line there between me. And again, maybe I'm the guy who, what'd you say? Uh, I'm rational and I <laughs> think things through or whatever you said at the beginning. Maybe that's me again, but I don't know why everybody's so upset about this. But like, and that's what the, the head of officiating said too. It's not a horns down thing. And the people have asked him, if it's horns down, why isn't it horns up? And he said the same thing that I just said too, that yeah, if they're taunting people with a horns up, like if they go down the WVU sideline and horns up everybody, probably going to get an unsportsmanlike conduct flag. But if you do it quickly, if you do it to your fans, that's fine. The coolest thing for me was that you can do whatever you want on your sideline now. So you could score a touchdown. And this is what the head of officiating said. You could score a touchdown, 
trot off the field and then do whatever the heck you want on the sideline. It's like Hamsterdam all of a sudden from the wire and anything goes and you can just have like free rain and, 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 and no holds barred and anything goes in your sideline and they can't throw a flag at you. So what I propose now is that you get the marketing people at WB or any school and you just sell like a 10 by 10 space in the sideline and it becomes your celebration party area because everybody <laughs> will be watching that after a touchdown every camera will be on that every you know every television network will be watching what happens on the 10 by 10 celebration pad and matt wells if he hears this he can thank me much later yeah make sure you copyright that get a little cup mm-hmm. for yourself if you don't mind mm-hmm. uh, well i i think now that we've covered the rest of the league it's time for us to circle back to what you alluded to earlier uh, here in a second. When we come back, we're going to discuss what Neil Brown said to you about these transfers, about these late arrivals, and how this 2019 roster might actually look when uh, the NCAA makes some decisions here. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, Mike, we're back, and we're going to discuss what Neil Brown said to you off camera, off to the side, about some of these late enrollees. We we have three signees in this 2019 recruiting class, Osita Smith, Rayshon Lynn, and Brandon Yates, who have signed but have not enrolled. And then uh, what seems like a plethora of transfers who have enrolled, but it's unclear what class when they're going to be eligible and a lot of other things. And you spoke to Neil Brown about that. What did he have to say? Not a lot, but he did give me more than nothing, which is maybe better than I hope to do um, because he doesn't have answers to these questions. And my sense of him is that he really only wants to give you answers when he has them, um, which is what coaches are often want to do. Um, but for example, we just, we mentioned at the very beginning, you just refresh it. There are going to be people who are in this recruiting class who will count towards the 25 scholarships for next year. And I'm trying to think in my head, three? Is that right? Probably, yes. Okay, so some some number there that's going to float a little bit. Um, so he can't really say who that's going to be because he doesn't know yet. And also, like, for example, the Australian punter, Max Hayes, that we talked about yesterday, who I think is going to be important because they maybe don't have another punter. Um well, I asked what his status was, and you can't talk about him because he's not signed, he's not enrolled. So that makes him a, a recruit you can't talk about, and Brown wouldn't acknowledge it. So no secondary violation there if anybody's listening, no reason to self-report. But there's no answer there. But you kind of figure, all right, that's TBD. What you can talk about is where the three recruits and where the three transfers stand. And this is what he told me. Um, of the the group of Osita Smith, Rashawn Lynn, and Brandon Yates, safety, safety. 
offensive line, uh, areas that need help. Um, one of them is not going to make it, and two of them are waiting a response from the NCAA clearinghouse. He would not tell me who was who. So if you think about this then, um, Yates, Smith, and Lynn, safety, safety line, who is going to help this year? I don't know. You figure a safety, and that kind of becomes important later because Brown said that of these people who aren't penciled in yet, one person of those six has a chance. And Smith is the highest-ranked player for the recruiting class, and they need the safeties, and he's probably capable of helping right away. How do you think yeah. this shakes out? What do you think happens with these three? Because one's out and two are maybes, which isn't really optimistic either. Well, absolutely not. I think with Smith, that might have been the only one that really didn't have any red flags when it was all going on. So maybe I'm the most optimistic about him. And again, I, I want to clarify here. A lot of times when I say that kind of stuff, I do have information that I'm trying not to just throw out there, uh, trying to hint at it. I have not heard anything. We have reached out to Osita Smith. We have reached out to his coach and others. And, and so far, there's been no indication of any issues, uh, no word on when he might be there. When I last spoke to him, which was back in May, he told me he was going to be there in June. Obviously, that's not the case. We're in the middle of July now. There's still some time to get in. Uh, you know, We've seen guys enroll as late as uh, late August, uh, right up into the week of the first game. Uh, the one that comes mm-hmm. to mind was... Actually, Rasul Douglas, who ended up being a tremendous player at WVU, but not the year that he got there. And the biggest reason that was because of his late enrollment. So I think that also has to be taken into account here. Uh, Who can get here before fall camp starts? And right now, I'm not sure any of them are. They just had an enrollment date yesterday, Monday, and that was the last one for the summer. So um, there is a period that you can enroll and still count for the session. I would think that's unlikely. What's interesting here is that of those three, one of them isn't even, I'm guessing, trying. Like that there's no way that he's going to get to the clearinghouse or he's already received that. So somebody is a red flag there. And we're speculating here, but who was late in the class? Who was early in the class? You can put together the timeline in your head and figure out, hmm, if this guy was questionable and he was still available later, perhaps he's the one who knows. But, um, they need safeties, and if they go over two on the safeties, that's not particularly heartwarming for the defensive backfield. And and about these transfers, uh, you know, obviously they all play a position of need as well. And if they can get them eligible, you, you mentioned maybe some waivers. What what's the latest on that? Yeah, this is my thing. We're in my wheelhouse now, so we can do this. Uh, paperwork is my forte. <laughs> they are not gonna put together an appeal unless they know or strongly suspect they're going to have a chance. They don't want to waste the NCAA's time because perhaps the NCAA can hold grudges about that. And if you just throw, if you have seven transfers and you throw seven waivers in, there's no way you have seven yeses. You probably have maybe one yes, four maybes, three no's, two no's, right? There's no way you're going to go seven for seven. So if you just blindly put all your your waivers, all your transfers in the waiver, they're going to get mad. They don't want to do that. So they want to have solid and material cases. So you have to be really good about that. And frequently, um, you'll see counsel from the NCAA or from lawyers or from other schools that have done this before. So this is my way of saying that WVU, and they told me this, they're not going to pursue a waiver unless they feel like it's going to happen. Um, so they have pursued waivers for two. Um, the three transfers are Jared Nagy, the quarterback, Sean Ryan, the receiver from Temple, and Alonzo Adai, who was the former safety, now cornerback. He was at New Hampshire, and he's changed positions now at West Virginia. Two of them 
um, are going to get a transfer. West Virginia is not trying on another one because it would be a waste of time. One of them, it's in the works. They're waiting on a ruling. One of them, this is interesting, they decided to start the paperwork this week, which means they probably got some inclination that they have an argument. Um, so I just mentioned that there's frequently conversations between the NCAA or lawyers or other schools. They probably have some sort of precedent case or some sort of advice that makes them think this is a good idea. So I would think that there's a good chance they have two of these three transfers eligible. Um, my guess, if you're interested, let's work. We're always interested. I don't know how Daggy makes it. Um, he didn't leave after the coaching change. He went through spring football. Um, his brother left to go. He was on the staff of Bowling Green, uh, and he's now at USC as a quality control coach, but that's not really a reason to transfer. Um, and the NCAA is kind of particular about you commit to play for a school and not a coach or a family member. Um, and again, he went the spring, so it's not like it was a toxic environment and he left. He certainly didn't get run off. It seems unusual that he would be the one that would they go for a waiver on. Now, the other thing is, who knows? There may be some things. There may be a case or a specific instance that caused them to transfer and that West Virginia can prove it and get the waiver. We don't know that. So that's my disclaimer for all this. But what we know may be important. The other two seem like they have a chance. For whatever reason, um, they announced a die as a transfer, even though he was going to be a walk-on. He's not on scholarship. He's a walk-on. It was odd to me that they announced him as a transfer. And almost immediately, I heard that they thought they had a good chance for him. Um, so perhaps he's one of them that they go for a transfer on. Um, Sean Ryan seems like a guy you would go for, a receiver from Temple um, who had two coaching changes in the offseason, <laughs> two. That's unique and extenuating, and the NCAA kind of is partial to unusual cases like that. I think he's the one. Brown said that there's one they think is, without a doubt, look at the waiver on. Of those three, who do you think? Again, we don't know all the facts. We don't know the obvious ones that may be hidden from us. Ryan seems like he has the no doubt about a case. And if a die was someone that I believe you and I both heard, they would try to get a waiver on. Maybe he's the guy that just in the past handful of days, they decided, you know what, let's get that waiver together. Let's get it shipped off this week. Well, okay, so you have those three. In your opinion, who's the one that's going to make the biggest difference this year? This is the interesting part, too. I asked Brown, you know, how much of a difference does it make? You're going to have, you know, 79, 81 players in your scholarship roster. We're talking five or six scholarship players, depending on a die, he may get a scholarship. But we're talking six players who maybe help, maybe don't. He said, well, one player has a chance to help us at a position we need help and don't have much experience. He said, you can take it from there. Is it receiver? Maybe. Because they don't have a lot of experience. They lost Jennings and Sills and Marcus Sims, and they don't have a ton of catches back. But they've recruited all right, and they got George Campbell, and they have you know, so young players and veterans, and TJ Simmons is okay. I don't know. Uh, safety, they absolutely need help. They lost the repits. They lost um, Kenny Robinson. They're floating some walk-around, some walk-ons in the deep, deep end there. That's curious to me. And they moved a die from safety to cornerback, so they're really thin there. And Lynn and Smith seem like they would be players who would have a chance, and Smith is the highest ranked. Uh, I don't think it's a quarterback because that doesn't make any sense, and I just don't think an offensive lineman is going to be counted on this freshman year. So if you're asking me, um, it's probably O.C. to Smith. My, my number two, not even my 1B, my second guess would be of those six players, the one that Brown says could help would probably be Sean Ryan, the receiver. Agree? Uh, I think I'd have to agree with you. Actually, I was – I was debating with myself. I might have one A, one B with with Ryan and Smith, because um, I think they're the biggest. I, I think cornerback is thin, as you noted, and a die could help there. But I think they have, say, those first three um, with Washington, uh, 
Washington, Bailey, and Miller and might be able to get by with that. And the young guys that have, have received rave reviews so far. So I think he would help, but he's not somebody that they're dying to add that they desperately need. But I think Sean Ryan, I think their receiving core, they seem to be concerned about that, adding several guys late. Um, and then Osita Smith, he's just just a tremendous talent. Uh, you know, obviously he was recruited by the previous staff, and he was, I would say, former defensive coordinator Tony Gibson's top defensive target in that last class because he knew he was so special, knew what he could do, and and, and could contribute early. So I think he is right up there with Sean Ryan for me as, as the two guys out of those six you mentioned that could help the most this year. I will add that um... – Basically, I talked to Simmons, TJ Simmons, about two weeks ago, and he talked about how good Ryan had been and, and that, you know, that's a guy that should he be able to play. He'd help a whole lot. And I bumped into someone who, um, let's just say, just sees them do workouts a lot, and he said that Ryan's their best outside receiver. Well, then I would say that put them up there in a need. Uh, that would be a big ad for them, um, especially with so much, obviously so much loss from the receiving core last year. Well, uh, Mike, I think that is about all of our time, unless you have something something else you want to add from your secret side combos with uh, your for, with Neil Brown. No, I'm going to go fill out my Neil Brown fan club newsletter, and it'll be in your e-boxes in half an hour. Excellent. Thank you. All right, uh, West Virginia fans, thank you for listening in to the fourth episode of Country Roads Confidential. We'll be back again in a few days with another one. I am Chris Anderson. I'm Mike Casaza. Thanks for listening.